we've always told ourselves like if, if this does not advance our mission then let's get out of this so we do this every two years and part of our unique zone is there's so many great conferences out there i mean i take my staff to a global leadership summit and we go to colson center conferences and there's all these places and so we're like we want to uniquely be in the space of having people who are in the trenches running businesses and doing it with a, an eternal perspective All right, welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. Uh, my name is Eric Most, and it's my joy to be the president of the National Christian Foundation for the Rocky Mountain region. And I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP on our office uh, today. And we also have uh, a third guest. We've got Mike Shero from C12 is joining us. So Mike, uh, Lori, welcome. And how are you guys doing today? Really good. Excited to be with you guys. I'm super happy. I just came back from a week on the shores of the Gulf, and I love the beach. So it's good to be back. All right. Yeah, you definitely look a little bit more tanned than you do normally, and so uh, good work there. Uh, Mike, you're uh, you're coming to us today from uh, Texas. It's uh, a little warm down there right now, I think. Yeah, I, I'm an Alaskan by heritage, so uh, I call the summertime in Texas is northern Hades. And um, I'm actually next week coming up to your neck of the woods who's some fishing and get away from the heat. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, that's, uh, you know, we've, we've been in, uh, bring your rain jacket along with you. We've had an incredibly wet year here. I actually just saw a stat that showed that um, we've had, we've received more rain um, so far year to date than we did all of last year um, in, here in Colorado. And so uh, bring your rain gear. And uh, uh, we were camping as a family just uh, last weekend and uh, up in the mountains up near um, Taylor Reservoir area and uh, woke up Saturday morning to it actually snowing on us, which was a bit of a shock to the system. And so um, yes. I hope you really enjoy your time while you're up here getting away from the heat of, uh, of Texas there. I, I I will take cool weather even if it's wet. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, well, well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. We're kind of wrapping up um, a mini series that we've done. We, we had multiple interviews that we took while we were at the C12 conference this last year and um, at the current conference. And um, we've just finished hearing those, but I wanted to, to, to get your voice into things. Kind of one, I want to get some reflections from the, um, from the current conference and your time there uh, and, and leading that. And then uh, just want to hear more about kind of your life, your background and things like that. And so um, let's get started though with kind of give a sense, our listeners, a sense of who you are, your family background, how you came to the, know the Lord. Sure. Um, so I mentioned, kind of already added myself a little bit. I grew up in this frozen Northwest place called Alaska and uh, grew up in a blended family and um, uh, mostly a military heritage and that side of things. And church was a big part of our life. And so I was uh, going to church, grew up on Bible stories and some good heritage there. And uh, I got I, I got passionately, wildly saved as a kid. And I say that not because I would say it was maybe being saved from a wild background, but um, just had an encounter with the living God. I remember hearing a pastor do a great job presenting the gospel and me realizing that it was never going to be um, the good enough game was never going to work. He had to kind of declare spiritual bankruptcy and um did that actually in the process of the pastor coming to my house to make sure I was really saved and knew what I was doing. It wasn't emotional. Um, my dad actually accepted Christ in that conversation. And so we got to, the pastor got a twofer and wow. he got to baptize us both. And that kind of launched me on a path of just being in love with Jesus and love with his word and, and trying to figure out what it meant to um, be sold out to his kingdom. But the irony is I grew up saying the two things anyone would never, ever, ever do was live in Texas or work for a church. So I was like, Jesus, I want to be all about you. Just don't make me live in Texas and don't make me work for a church. Um, and I've done both those things. So, you know, careful what you say never about. Um, fast forward to today, and I've been married to Jackie for 21 years this past spring. And she, when we were at Current, that was my anniversary, which, you know, I've got an introverted wife. So I tell her, hey, I invited 1,300 of our closest friends to dinner tonight to show you my love for you. Um does not does not count i found out um and we are the parents of two wonderful girls that are 12 and 9 and uh, we have a, a lot of fun with them and uh we zigzag so i'm an alaska guy i met my wife in chicago she's an iowa farm girl and we moved down here to be close to some family she had um quite a number of years ago 
Oh, very cool, very cool. Um, uh, we share the, the the name of spouses. So my wife is also a Jackie, and so it was great to meet great your wife. Name. Yeah, it was great to meet your wife while we were there. We were able to sit right 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 next to you during uh, that 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 anniversary celebration. So uh, well done, great dinner. You know, good job. I mean, I I don't see why that doesn't count. Yeah, steak dinner. I mean, it was tablecloths. It was expensive. Yeah, it's great. Uh, what a great time. Well, good. You are the steward of C12. Um, give us a give give our listeners a kind of a uh, an overview of like what is C12? Um, how did you also get there? Because you didn't you didn't start off kind of going as 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 the CEO kind of drive. So give us a little overview of that. Yeah, C C12, which was originally the, the Christian 12 group, was started over 30 years ago by this amazing guy named Buck Jacobs, who's a, a mentor and a friend, and he started in Florida, um, really around the idea of how do you help. Christian business owners um, bring kind of spinning plates that you typically do juggle separately together. The idea of like, how do you honor God in your work? How do you think about business as ministry, not just a economic engine to give to ministry and really kind of restore your role as a minister, trying to help everyone, every believer find your purpose and live out the great commission, great commandments, but also provide a place of personal accountability. So he started this idea of creating forums that would be, all about business, but all about purpose, all about impact, all about ministry in an integrated way. It was kind of looking at great example examples in kind of the secular world and said, man, can you take that? And kind of Bible study fellowship, BSF and missions. And can you merge those together with that work? And he pioneered that and raised them really special. And about, gosh, now 13 years ago this month, I first heard about it and a buddy joined it and was like, hey, you should, you love Jesus, you love businesses, but you're kind of group. And I ended up becoming a, a member. And then our model, so we run these forums all around the US, Asia, and South America right now, and then launching in Africa this fall. Um, part of our distinctive is these are forums of business owners who are trying to build a great business, but do it for a greater purpose, but they're professionally facilitated. And so that person who facilitates that as a full time job is named, it's called a chair in our world. And so I was a member, and then my chair said, Man, I think you love this stuff. You should be a chair. I said, no way. And he said, would you pray about it? And of course, as Christians, you have to pray. So like, I'll pray and then I'll tell you, no way. Okay. <laughs> so I I prayed and then a week later, I was like, I want to say no way, but I can't say no way yet. So okay. ended up doing that for a number of years. And then about seven years ago, the organization was going through a succession plan process. It was on its second leader operationally. And I got a chance to be the third generation of, of leading the business. And so um, I lead a Small business myself, essentially, about 25, 28 people here in Texas that supports um, what we call missionpreneurs, these 170 plus men and women who run forums all around the world for us who support about just coming up, coming up on a 4,000 members this fall. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, and at the, the current conference, uh, you you had 1,300 of those were, were mm-hmm. in attendance. I mean, that was a huge gathering of of um, missionpreneurs. Uh, yeah. Love that. And, and yeah, at the, yeah, go cool ahead. Vibe. There's a cool community there. Yeah. Tell us like, what was that experience like for folks? And, and, and what was your, that was your second time kind of leading current. Is that correct? In, in leadership or your third time? Cause it's every other year you do that. Fourth. Oh, that was fourth. fourth. Okay. So mm-hmm. tell us, tell us that experience. Yeah. So we're not in the conference business. Uh, I have a love hate relationship with events because <laughs> if anybody's put them on, we realize they're actually a lot of work yeah. to put on. Um, and we've always told ourselves, like, if, if this does not advance our mission, then let's get out of this. So mm-hmm. we do this every two years. And part of our unique zone is there's so many great conferences out there. I mean, I take my staff to a Global Leadership Summit, and we go to Colson Center conferences, and there's all these places. And so we're like, we want to uniquely be in the space of having people who are in the trenches running businesses and doing it with a, an eternal perspective, really showcase best practices in different areas. And so almost all the faculty are CTOL members themselves presenting something that their peers nominate them for saying that person should tell you about what they're doing with, you know, people management or sales and marketing or whatever their, their best practice is. And so it's what I love about the vibe is um, in today's world, it's refreshing to get growth minded people together who are building businesses. They're in the trenches right now, learning from people who don't have a book to sell you necessarily um, don't even have a service to sell you. Maybe it's a manufacturer. You can't even buy something from them, but they've got uh, a lesson that you can you can relate to. And then everyone in the room 
are people you want to hang out with because they're all trying to to uh, to do something now. And then we guard the room. You know, so you you know, National Christian Foundation is a, a longtime partner of ours. We only allow partners who we think are critical to people successfully running businesses as a ministry and actually fulfilling God's call to be present. And so it kind of creates a state to be like, hey, even if I don't know you, everyone here is either like me or genuinely here to help me. And that um, that just kind of creates a, a neat energy. It's a, it's a kind of, at least I feel it. I sit there and be like, and it also gives me hope because, you know, the headlines and news media stories can make you feel like, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And then you get to room and you realize like God's kingdom's advancing and mm-hmm. he has got, I think about Elijah being all discouraged and first Kings when he tells God, like, I'm, I'm the only one take my life. And God goes, and hey, there's 7,000 others mm-hmm. like get back to work, wake up. Um, that conference honestly is good for my soul to look out across that room and go, God, you've got amazing people doing amazing things. How cool we get to be part of that. Mike, I love that safety place for all of those believers to come together and be encouraged by one another. Um, I was not fortunate enough to be able to be at the C12 conference, so I would love to hear from you some of your key takeaways from some of those best practices that that were shared. Mm. So many. I love love getting to be a student there. Um, I loved, um, there's a guy out in Idaho who runs a lumber company, Levi Smith, was one of our top rated breakout speakers. And he was talking about the idea of um, how do you actually marry up uh, what should be a gospel perspective on people management. So I think he has 750 employees or something. Um, And when he stepped in, shifting the business from what he viewed as a maximum extraction culture, how do we get the most out of people to how do we um, create the most value for people and hope that they will create value for customers and create a, a very redemptive kind of abundance versus scarcity mindset. And what's beautiful about that, we've seen that kind of case they played out across a lot of industries in C12. Um, he went into it going, I want to tell a better redemptive story and how we manage people. It just so happens that over the six, seven years he's been leading it, um, you know, injuries go down, retention is up, engagement is up, trust is up, that's translated to higher profitability, better customer service. So the business has actually tripled its profits in six years um, as a downstream of caring for people. But regardless of that, people are actually believing the gospel motivation he has because they're beneficiaries of it. So him walking through that kind of journey from here to there of changing a culture um, gave me a lot of takeaway notes. Um, Got some pieces even on like... uh, guy out of Ohio on some lean disciplines are going back and going, Hey, how do we make sure we're honoring God and the, the, the efficiency and stewardship of our processes? Um, oh, who else? Um, and we did have a guest with David Kinnaman. I love David's uh, exhortation, looking at generational insights on Gen Z and millennials. Um, and I think Christians should be the least complaining people. Mm. You should be like, Hey, this is what God's called us to. And so I loved him calling out saying, Hey, you can be like, Oh, it's just kind of hard to adjust to these generational things. And be like, hey, God didn't call you to be a leader, to do easy things. He mm-hmm. called us to do hard things. And what, how are we going to seize this moment to shape this generation and see its goodness, see its challenges and lean into that, not just lean back and criticize it. And he gave some pretty practical points that, um, I felt throughout the sessions, you know, that's information, that's helpful, that's a tool I can use, that's an idea, but uh, encouraged and challenged mm. to uh, to play offense, not defense in life. Mike, it also sounds like because it was a safe place that some of those leaders were also very vulnerable in their own growth of the years, mm. and that vulnerability often helps other people know that they're yes. not being judged and negative about where they're at, but that they have an yeah. opportunity to improve themselves and a group of people around them that are willing to really encourage and cheer them on in that change. 100%. Yeah, it's so good. Um, <clears throat> Mike, while we were at the C12 conference, uh, in one of the breakouts, I actually heard you say that um, one of my shadow missions is to redeem the Christian and Christian businesses. Can you, uh, can you riff on that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, I'm probably going to offend someone. I'll try to say this carefully. Um, maybe that's what we're about. So to be candid, when I got invited to to visit a C12 meeting by um, a buddy who ran a contracting business in 2010, um, initially I was like, 
that congratulations, good for you. I'm busy. I've got a great church. I've got a small group. I've got consultants. Like I was not finding myself. I didn't think I needed one more thing. And as he kept pushing on that, the other reason though, and he's like, Mike, come on, like, just trust me. Why not? And I said, okay, I'll be real honest. When I moved to Texas, the Bible belt, uh, I had an allergic reaction to cultural Christianity. And I started finding that there's, there's kind of a couple different archetypes of Christian businesses that I didn't like. There's sometimes where obnoxious Christian expression, symbols and Bible verses and kind of waving the Jesus flag broadly becomes a license for neglect of business excellence, where it's not the best product or the best process, the best brand or the best compensation or warranty programs. Like I had a, my my worst software purchase experience was an eighty thousand um, dollar CRM purchase for a company, and when I called them because it broke and it wasn't functioning, the VP went, "Hey, Mike, like we're a Christian company, you need to show some grace." And I was like, mm. "Man, I I think grace." doing all things under God should raise your expectations of excellence, not be a cop-out for excellence. Um, or you find what I call, you know, kind of wacky name it and claim it like um, entitlement stuff. Or the other side I found in Texas where I was living at the time, uh, what I called good old boy clubs were like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian business, which means I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I'm basically moral, which, you know, congratulations. It makes mm -hmm. you decent American. Um, and I'm, I tip God. I do a little philanthropy on the side. And that makes my business you know, God honoring. So uh, when I I did, just didn't want that, and sadly, as I tried to even recruit people to C twelve, sometimes they'll go, "Gosh, in my space, I'm afraid if I get out as a Christian, that's actually going to lower people's brand perception of me." Not, you know, it's one side to be worried about people not liking your faith, but actually afraid that it'll lower their expectation of your business quality. And I, uh, when I was a new, when I was a believer in business, uh, starting my first corporate career, working for a publicly traded company up in Chicago, my first mentor in this space pulled me aside. And he said, Mike, are you trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian at work? I said, yeah, I really am. I'm actually, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out like how to do that. He said, can I give you two tips? I said, sure. He said, just focus on this for the next few years. Um, be so in love with Jesus that you're so thinking about him, talking to him abiding in him that when when people talk to you he oozes now oozes out of the conversation not because you're jujitsuing some you know bible tracks things here but it's just he's just top of mind because he's who you're thinking about and talking with and then second be so excellent be so above reproach in what you do that people may not like the fact that jesus oozes out of you out of you but that's the only thing they can criticize and um so yeah, I'm, part of my shadow mission C12 is to want to see um, Christian businesses crush the best places to work awards and crush growth awards and be the industry leaders in their spaces where people may go, gosh, I don't know if I agree with her faith in Jesus, but that's the best boss I've ever worked for. It's the mm -hmm. best environment. That brand is incredible. So I would love to see God honored and glorified with really great businesses that are motivated by an internal perspective. It seems like um, uh, what I consider oftentimes like my life verse kind of directing my path and it's First Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the We're glory all. of God, right? Do it right. all right. for the glory of God. Yeah. So so vitally important. Uh, I love those. Uh, that Those are very practical, too simple, yet probably yeah. very hard to maintain um, uh, things to, to pursue. And, and we all... We all can pursue those two things in all of our life, not just in our work, in every aspect of our life as well. Totally. Um, you know, we you you also um, put on um, these greater workshop, um, uh, greater purpose workshops. Great, greater purpose workshops. Thank you. Um, and yep. and you were actually here in town uh, just a month or two before, and I was able to be a part of it. And one of the quotes that you have. Um, was from Billy Graham that you shared. And I think I said something along these lines of, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. And uh, clearly you were compelled by that as well. And um, and so speak to that for even just the general business owner, um, unrelated to C12, just like like where and how and why, do you did you even agree with that? And, and are you seeing it flesh out? And where are you encouraged? And where do you see continued growth needed? 
we could talk all day about this. I'll try and keep, I'll try and hit my uh, key things on this. So Billy Graham said that in 1974 when he first gathered the Lausanne gathering of the church globally around evangelism. Um, exciting moment. I'm going to Lausanne next year, 2024, mm-hmm. the fourth time that global church gathering. It's actually the largest gathering of the church in the history of the church. And honor that statement, 40% of the attendees are actually business leaders, mm. which is the first time that's ever been part of that event. Um, so where his statement became validated to me, so I live in a city that's highly religious. we got a tremendous um, Latino community. We've got tremendous heritage. Our city was founded in San Antonio as a Catholic mission hundreds of years ago. So if you were to survey the population, as people say, I'm more Christian than I'm Muslim, um, you get a lot of people who check the Christian box. But the city's wildly unchurched. And one of the ways to validate that, like it's less than 10% churched, Mm. would be if you were to take every church building in the city, which we've got a lot, and you were to max out every seat and every pew twice every Sunday, if you assume every church in the city has maxed out attendance for two services, which we have a lot of dead churches and empty churches, you couldn't seat 10% of the city population. So that tells me it's a lot of people not going to church. Mm-hmm. And if you begin thinking about is the real issue, is the Great Commission go therefore and get the whole city to come to your church, or is the Great Commission to have the whole church go to the whole city? Um that's a very different paradigm. And Christians in business, whether you're an owner, an executive, or you're a manager of the grocery store, like get tremendous influence. And we actually find that the average business owner, through the context of their employees, their families of those employees, their customers, their vendors, their suppliers, their you know, brokers, their um, their business park neighbors, the average small business owner in America actually impacts every year five to 8,000 people. And if 70% of those, just to use a safe number, are likely unfamiliar or don't have a personal relationship with the, with Jesus Christ, that means the average small business owner has the influence potential greater than most of the average, even megachurch pastors, who are mostly locker room conversations of gathered Christians. And so the um, there was a survey done a few years ago, I think for it's pre-COVID, that... Um, 60-something percent of atheists, of people who did not identify with any kind of religion in the workplace, when asked, do you know a Christian that you could talk to about Jesus, said no. Hmm. Um, But when we help, and what we've seen to validate that, do I believe that? Uh, Our average small business owner who goes through that workshop you went through and then begins to turn the lights on um, has four to five times the per capita rate of evangelism Mm. than the average American church. Wow. That's not that's not a criticism of the church. It's the church is mostly full of people who already identify as Team Jesus, and most people in business don't. And so we've got just tremendous opportunity. And then I went back and kind of looked historically and went, well, this isn't like new. Like C12 didn't invent this. This isn't the Billy Graham thing. Even like most of the people in the Bible were business people, mm-hmm. like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, family business owners. All the New Testament. So yeah, I think this is a phenomenal moment. In fact, I think we're seeing this cultural moment where people are less trusting of institutional religion, and there's denominational baggage, and there's all sorts of things that get you know, whether it's church hurt or just cynicism. But people are asking incredibly spiritual questions around love and truth and meaning and identity and significance that the gospel answers, and they're ans- they're asking those questions in their vocational context. And so I think it's just an amazing frontier of both um, proclaiming the gospel, living the gospel, and then just back to, Laura, you're talking about a safe place to be honest about what we're not good at. I will also tell you, um, I used to think I was like a, you know, an eight out of 10 Christian, because you always got to have at least a degree of humility, but like pretty good. Um, When you try to actually live out the gospel Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in bad meetings, in tough negotiations, in projects that blew up. Uh, I would say that's the actual, like, that's your actual baseline of your spiritual maturity. Mm. Live, trying to live the gospel at work actually revitalizes your own discipleship and makes you aware of, like, having to wrestle with, do you actually trust God's word? Do you actually trust him and live that out? So 
um, yeah, I think Billy Graham is right. I'm kind of captivated by it. Yeah, one of the one of the speakers actually said something uh, along the lines of, um, "I think that the marketplace has an uncommon market advantage, or something like that, um, as it relates totally. to like evangelism as well, totally. over the church, right, and discipleship." And so the opportunity. I mean, people are spending way more time in business uh, than they will ever in in a church, as you look at the combined number of hours that people spend in, in the day. And so, what a great Casey platform Crawford. for it. Yeah, it's Casey Crawford, right? Yeah, he, he, he actually has a mentorship program where employees can actually be an employee-led Bible studies to go through a 40-week, hour-a-week program. And I think his pastor in North Carolina is like, how in the world? Like, we can't get people to you know go through an eight-week study, and you're getting people to do 40 weeks. And he's like, well, you have people for one or you know an hour or two a week, and you ask them to give you money. I have people for 40, 50 hours a week, and I give them money. So it's just a little different context. Um and it's safer. They're not leaving and joining something. They're getting to kind of check stuff out and you get to do it in a, a relational ongoing context. You don't have to be so transactional and like get the deal done in the next five minutes. You can pull the thread over a mm-hmm. period of time. Yeah. Uh, it was, I went to his, uh, the, their breakout and talking about their, yeah. it was, it was mind boggling. Honestly, it was so good. And, um, I love their open handedness too. And I think we see that consistently through, um, just Christian business owners in general, like there's an open handedness of, um, especially when they move from a, a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset that it's like, I don't know, take, take what we're doing, like feel free, have free reign. Let's, let's multiply this effort significantly. You know, there's, uh, there's the, um, uh, uh, we, we, we saw that in the Greater Worker uh, greater Purpose Workshop and others, just the, the pocket testament league and, and, the, and getting the Bibles out and sending them out in every order and, and, getting the, and getting to see the number of people that are coming to Christ as they're now getting the hands on the scriptures. I just absolutely love that. Yeah. When we, when, um, so we use the phrase, our founder, uh, our founder coined this. So there's sometimes the idea of like, Hey, I'm a business person and I'm a kingdom person, church person. I've got my faith over here, my business over here. And then there's sometimes where they get a little closer together where maybe you directly let your vocation fund or influence your ministry efforts. And so you have a passion for youth, you do some with FCA or Young Life or whatever, maybe. Um, but but I still kind of use your business as a means to an end versus seeing it as something that's actually God honoring itself. And and ask the question, like, what if my business isn't just a funder of ministry, but is the business as ministry, which means God would care about what we do, why we do it, how we do it, and the effect it has. And so when you begin thinking about, gosh, how does my sales process? So we look at a balance scorecard and look at, you know, operations, sales, people, finance, and over ministry stuff, the stuff we think of and go in all those areas. Is it excellent? Like you said, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, let's do it all to the glory of God. Let's do accounting to the glory of God. Let's do uh, order fulfillment to the glory of God. What would that mean? Well, it wouldn't be shoddy, so it should be high quality, and it should be best practice. It should be excellent. It should be good. But how do I actually even, like, how do I actually point to Jesus in that? And it's just, it's inspiring to see the way different entrepreneurs are finding ways to honor God and point to God through those different work processes. And I'm routinely inspired. A lot of what you just talked about is really whole life stewardship is we're stewarding our whole life, our whole life. And that's one of the topics here on the Generosity Now podcast. So I'd like to switch the conversation a little bit, Mike, um, to your personal generosity journey, because I think that all ties in to mm-hmm. how you live your life is your own generosity journey and how God called you in that space. Fun. Um, so I've got a lot of convictions around this, um, even down to like stuff we're doing with our kids today, but kind of where I started real quick on, um, I think it has to change the way you think about stewardship and generosity because it's easy to think about generosity as being something that you only get to engage in once you reach a certain level of wealth or capacity. So I was in a, um, I was in an era of, of poor, my family was poor for a while. We were going through unemployment and underemployment. There was a lot of financial distress. And so I had a friend's family who I, I viewed as being uh, wealthy. I thought they were more successful. I, I, I wanted, I wish we had their cars in their house. And then I was at their house one day, it was tax season. And at awkwardly at dinner, the, my buddy asked his dad, dad, how much money do you make this year? And the dad answered the question, which I thought was super awkward. Um, and when he answered it, his dad was in construction. And I found out 
my parents actually made more money than what I thought my rich friend made. And I was super confused. And I asked like, wait, 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 uh, Mr. Wayne, like, uh, is that all you make? Do you guys have like an inheritance? Do you have like, like, you guys have a nice stuff? And he's like, no, we're just really, uh, we're really diligent about budgeting. And he talked to this idea of stewardship. And I, I was like, wait a minute, okay, I got to learn this budgeting world and the stewardship world. If you actually have, you seem to be more generous with less than we are with more. I'm going to figure that out. So that kind of put me on a hunt of realizing uh, making more doesn't actually necessarily correlate to more generosity. Intentionality is. So that put me on that path. And then I got to college and I watched how many of us friends when you're broke and you're like, hey, let's tithe. And you know, tithing is $67 that month or whatever. And then you get your first jobs and people are like, whoa, you know, now tithing $6,000 or $10,000 a year. That that's a lot of money. And it actually sometimes gets harder to be generous truly as in scale if you've not really like thought through your understanding of, of stewardship. And so um, then I got mentored by a, a guy named John Furr, who his goal was to give as much money and change as many lives as possible without ever getting credit for it in his life. He was like a ninja of clandestine philanthropy hmm. his goal was actually to never get more than like 500 or a thousand dollars with people being able to know it was from him and the rest he did through donor advised funds and vehicles and shell companies and he people knew he was a you know effusive guy who'd give you a book who'd encourage you he lived a generous lifestyle relationally um but was fixated on not wanting um giving money to ruin relationships or create expectation but he's also kind of always figuring out ways he could um, shrink his spend and increase his give potential and then multiply it. And he just got giddy. So he took me on a, some journeys and had me read books around like when helping hurts and toxic charity and all sorts of great books and places and took me to places around the world where he was doing orphanages and church planting and just amazing things and helped me get excited to switch from the question of, and what I love, probably one of my favorite books now it was written after that would be God and Money by John Cortines and Greg. But I love the language that John kind of led me in with less, you know, eloquently of, hey, the question is how much must I give to please God? Like, how much am I going to keep? Like, what, what's I going to keep? And how much kingdom damage and fun do I get to be part of? And so he would invest, he'd do angel investing in things and put all the shares in, in charitable giving vehicles and go, God, I'm 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 playing Kingdom Vegas here. I'm putting some bets in some things, and if you want to, you know, 10x that, that just 10x is my privilege to get to be a conduit of it. And if not, you'll fund it some other way. But it's it's a lot of fun when I get to be the the dealer. I get to be the distributor of stuff. And so um, that those kind of put me on a path. You know, even to today when we got two little girls and we start doing their allowance, or they get birthday money. Um, now, they're probably going to one day find out we've kind of technically lied to them, but we told them when you get a dollar, um, you're going to tithe 25%. So they actually think tithing starts at 25%. So they don't know that that's Good work. quite right. But if you start there, oh, well, it's kind of like lying about Santa Claus. Like one day they're going to find out things and tithing isn't 25%, but start there, save 25 and live on 50. And if you can start there, um, and then if you want to do things above that, gifts and help people, it goes beyond that. Well, it's just normal for them and to try to, and then helping them. Um, you guys already interviewed Alan Barnhart, who's a hero of mine. I love the way he's helped connect his kids seeing like, this is why we don't do what we could do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, taking my kids to migrant camps in Mexico or mission trips to Honduras or things in the city to go, Hey, the reason we don't do all the things we could do is because we get, we didn't get to do this. We don't give this because we have to, and that's why we now don't get to have these things. We electively find more joy in in these pieces. Mm. I loved what you just said there, Mike. We electively get to do some other things because we also, and I know you have this truth, it all comes from God. And that's really the basis of where we're at is, and even as business owners, if we have that perspective of it's all God's and we elect what portion that we're going to live off of, and I, and I know that that's exactly what you're teaching the business owners at C12. Yeah, I, you know, having kids is probably one of the sweetest um, visualizations because my my girls are are just it's great being a girl dad. Mm. I'm very well taken care of. 
um, and they love to buy me gifts or or do things for me, but they're using the money I gave them. Mm-hmm. So when they're like, yeah, look what I bought you, like I funded that. I enjoy their joy mm. in loving me with my money. Mm-hmm. But it's a funny thing when they, and they feel such pride that they gave me. I'm like, but that's me with everything with God. Like I make nothing for him and I get some sort of satisfaction out of giving to him from the allowance he gave me. Like that's um, when I was trying to invite a buddy to see 12 years ago who ran a plumbing company and he came to a forum, met with him at a diner the next morning. He's like, Hey man, I'm just not ready for this whole C12 thing. I said, okay, well, why? What? And he's like, I'm just not, I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure if I'm to the point of wanting to like give my business to God. Hmm. And I said, did you, were we asking you for donations yesterday? And he's like, well, I just felt like the kind of unspoken vibe was like, everyone's like, giving their businesses to God in some sort of way. And I'm just not quite there yet. And I said, well, just, so you know, I'm sorry. Like we're not asking you to do that. Like God's not a 501c3 looking for mm-hmm. your donated business. FYI, he actually already owns it. Mm-hmm. Like it's all his. The only question is if you're a good manager. Um, so manage it with joy. Um, yeah. I think um, my financial planning firm years ago, redid their whole mission statement and their whole piece was, um, we want to help people live a legacy, not just leave one. Mm-hmm. And to try to create like generosity as a lifestyle. And again, whether you can give $5 or $5 million, like, like how do you live in a generous legacy mm-hmm. and not just have this idea of one day I'll do some sort of generous thing in the mm-hmm. future. Cause I've generally find that suspended animation rarely ever becomes spontaneous animation. Like, it's got to be just lived. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so good. Uh, so many things that I want to uh, follow up on. First off, uh, with your kids, uh, we we do a similar thing with our with our boys, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I like the the twenty five percent. We've we've at least started them at fifteen percent, and then fifteen to save and fifteen to invest, and then keep the rest. Um, mm-hmm. But um, uh, one thing that we also do, maybe maybe think about this is 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 yeah. we want to also show the generosity of the father to our boys, and so we said, hey, anything that you give, we'll match. And so, mm-hmm. um, so uh, VBS camp this last week or two weeks ago, um, we were, our boys were they were raising some money for some uh, an orphanage in in Africa, and um, and they were and and they each got to decide out of their give what they wanted to what they wanted to give, and then um, as soon as they they gave their number, mommy and daddy followed up with with doubling that number. And eventually, cool. eventually that's going to become uh, unsustainable because yeah. um, I find my kids are actually sometimes even more generous than I am. And that could be, right. become very dangerous. I was, uh, last summer, I was blown away. My six-year-old was like, yeah, I want to give $32 to the Cure Hospital. And I'm like, I, I was almost tempted to be like, whoa, I, like that's that's a lot of money of your, you know, your, you know what I was like, I, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not squashing the joy that he has in that. I'm like, buddy, that is so generous of you. And guess what? Mommy and dad are going to match that. And, uh, and so we just love that impact that we got to see, um, and just kind of fuel that. So maybe just take a, take that as an idea for your own uh, family. I like that idea. Uh, A buddy in my C2 group challenged me with an idea that I really, really like, but we've actually done a poor job implementing. Um, because so I'm, I'm, I'm planning oriented, I'm structured. So frankly, my wife and I have planned a lot of our giving throughout Mm -hmm. the year. And so you know, we got we keep trying to increase our our percentage we're able to give, but it's again it's pretty it's defined by goals and objectives mm-hmm. and causes we care about, which sometimes makes us weaker on spontaneous giving, mm-hmm. and then sometimes our girls don't see it as much because it's you know it's just automatically drafting out of accounts and such. And a buddy in my forum created he actually got a debit card, created his own bank account called a Kingdom account where they put discretion they put funds in every month. And then they challenge their kids and family every week to be like, hey, let's ask God to give us an increased awareness of where there's need that mm. we can step in and do spontaneous abundance. So when you're at a restaurant and you see what looks like maybe a single mom with some kids, like let's let's secretly pay for their tab. Or when you're at a, you know, auto repair shop and you hear someone ahead of you who's like struggling with the repairs they got to do, let, let's step in and let's celebrate each month. Um, and I'd give us like a C minus. Okay. But I love the idea of trying to actually increase family, like, awareness of hey, where do we have opportunity to be part of God's uh, generous and abundant response to things and actually have a disciplined, like, spontaneity of giving as well. Uh, 
I, so that's I, what we're trying to grow this year. I love that. I uh, might have to be creating another bank account uh, just for that. We um, <laughs> uh, we just did an episode just talked about like non-strategic, uh, you know, tax advantageous giving, right? And looking for those type of opportunities, yeah. doing different generosity capers, so to speak. But um, but but love that just building in a discretional account that's not using your donor advised funds and things like that. One thing that we do to help our boys connect our giving, because like you said, it's so much on auto debit and things like that through our giving fund. Is is we actually share our strategic fund review with our boys every year, and we don't we we we, we pull mm. out the numbers, but we but we make it practical, okay. right? So we're you know we'll we'll say, hey, do you remember that guy that that was from Thailand that stayed with us? Like he's with this mission, you know, with this ministry, and and uh, we support him, you know, and 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 this ministry, mm-hmm. you know, they're a book publisher, and so here's one of the books that we've um, that, that that's being published because of the fruit of our of our of our. Um, uh, our generosity to, to them and, and stewardship there. And so um, it's a way to help connect some dots because they don't ever see us write a check. They don't ever see us put anything right. in the offering right. plate when it comes by. And right. I'm, I'm afraid what that can, what that can do for the future. And so we want to display that. So. Okay. So I'm the one that has older children in this um, group here. And we were at that point at the ages that your kids were, but as our kids got older, we actually en- invited them in and we told them the dollars because they started to understand what their dues were for what their swim meets cost. My kids were all competitive swimmers. And we wanted them to correlate why we weren't going to Disney every year because they were swimming. And also here was the other. And we invited them in actually to review who we gave our money to, we gave the, those do- God's dollars to, and asked them, did they think that it reflected who we were as a family? And it was a good place to invite our own children in to review us because we have our own view of ourselves. And it also was hopefully a teaching time for them as they go forward as stewards of their own lives. All my boys happen to be married now and leading their own families. And we wanted to give them some of that context, like the dinner table of he answered how much he made. Sometimes it's really important for us to share with our children the dollars too, as they get older, in my opinion. That's good. Thank you, Lori. That's good counsel. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good to have this uh, the, the folks in our lives that are ahead of us and folks in our lives mm-hmm. that are behind us. Um, you know, one thing you were just talking about um, uh, were kind of some common barriers that you see in, in, in giving both in your own life and in lives of others. Um, wh- what do you think or how do you see played out um, accountability and, and, and friends kind of helping each other in, in giving, how do you, do you see that played out at, at all in your own life? And, and, and how has that been fruitful? Yeah. One of the things I also, I thought was a great exhortation in that book, God money was the idea of having like, who's going to be your folks who actually you do have that candid conversation. I mentioned my friends, you know, have at their table, we don't usually certainly in our small groups at church or their pastors talk about, by the way, here's, you know, here's income and here's margin and here's giving. But in the absence of that, you're also kind of like, is this good? Is this great? Uh, how do you navigate these decisions? Families are all different. You mm-hmm. know, I just, I mean, the guy yesterday's got 13 kids. I got two. That's different. Mm-hmm. His, his, his overhead's a little different than my overhead. Um, my, I have found if you can be in a safe place where you can disclose, Hey, here's what, Here's what we're thinking about or giving. That's why I love um, things like journey of generosity, mm-hmm. the jobs, experiences where you go on a retreat or something where you disclose without anybody who's there being like, okay, now write me a check. Mm-hmm. There's no conflict of interest, but we can challenge you to how do we view stewardship? What do we actually think that word means? Stewardship's not what's my obligation to give. I understand it, what everything is. Um, what are the unique opportunities I have to to have find joy in that um, who's going to help call me out on the difference between what's a toy and what's a tool mm-hmm. and what's for um, what for one person. You know, I, I knew a CEO who realized um, shiny things were such an idle factory for him. He like acutely uh, capped his income for three years, just saying, God, I want to find freedom from this. It wasn't because it was, those things were bad, but he knew that was actually like a toxin for him. And having people hold you accountable, not to, you should be giving 14% Mm -hmm. or you should be giving 34%, but going, are you true to what God's uh, made you to be, called you to be, and revealed to you? And how do we celebrate those wins? And if you've got 
resources um, that typically if you're you know a business owner or investor or space, but the themes are not different, but the dollar amounts get bigger and it creates different complexities. And even like, you know, Laura, you're talking about raising your sons to be engaged in this. I've got a friend who structured that, but he ended up putting some investments in a in a donor advised fund. And then those investments uh 10x, he thought they're gonna 2x. Well, he's like, well, gosh, how do I help my kids navigate that kind of giving? Like that's actually that's actually a lot to give. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've raised my kids to know how to give that kind of money without hurting, but I also don't want it to just be this perpetual holding fund. I want it to like be distributed and impact people. And so I think accountability is huge. I think it then does a couple of things. It can rule, it can break down myths that actually rob you of joy. So uh, guilt or fear or different pieces, it can inspire you. Like I, there's a business owner down South who um, came to C12 actually just last year and a few months in, he actually, he asked me, he was like, Hey, what do you, can I ask what you give and how you approach that? And so he'd asked some informal things in the next meeting. He said, Hey, I, uh, I used to think I was generous, but I was generous because of the dollars I gave, but it's actually a really small percentage. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing I'm actually not that generous. And so he, um, he began to get inspired about what it looked like to, to practice more generosity. And he actually kind of, did a combination of, hey, God, I'm going to commit if this happens, I'll do this. And I'll, if this happens, I'll do that. And God actually kind of met him in that. And he found himself writing a check that was 20 times bigger than he'd ever written before. And was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then it was like, that was so stinking cool that he went from being someone who kind of tipped at church to this year. They're the single, he's the single largest funder of adoptions, of, of domestic adoptions in his county. And it said, hey, my, our part responding to the um, at-risk pregnancy and unwanted children and, and kind of the abortion upstream issue is going to be eliminating financial barriers in my community. Mm. And it's like, I never thought I'd get to be part of this stuff. I just, I run this business. And I'm getting to be part of this incredible story in my community. But he, he just didn't know what that looked like because he wasn't sure where to ask the awkward questions without someone then saying, hey, would you like to give to my thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, Clyde Lear. Clyde um, talks about, uh, he says, you know, I know that there's a, he said, I I know that there's a runner's high, but I wonder if there's a giver's high. And he turns and he looks at his wife and he starts giggling. He goes, there is, there is a giver's high. And he just absolutely has it. And so I love how we, um, how God can transform us through relationship with others, um, held accountable, um, a, a greater vision, uh, love the the safe place that conversations like uh, that, that get to happen through journeys of generosity and other places like that, where we can press in, um, have some accountability. But then what we're what we're calling people to is joy. Um, you know, the Bidiana Abuela, um, pastor in uh, the Caribbean, uh, he says, um, when we call people to repentance, we're actually calling them to the greatest joy. And I think that's absolutely true as well in our in our giving and our generosity. And so um, this has been so much fun. I'm looking at our time and holy smokes, I feel like we could we could spend another hour here. Um, we're already 45 minutes in. Um, but and 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 I know you have some things going on. And so um would you would you just kind of wrap the conversation up though, um, with letting some folks know if hey, they've never even heard of C12 or um maybe you're in a prick by saying, Hey, I actually could use some accountability, I could have some peers, some things like that. How could people get involved? There's there's groups meeting not only all over the country. You you mentioned Asia and Africa soon. I love the expanse of, of the ministry. So how do people get involved? And then um, uh, yeah, give give us close us with that. Oh, and we also ask. I'm sorry. Um, you know, is there a single? Re- you talked about the book God and Money, and that could be the one that you pick. Um, but if there's another kind of resource that's been very formative for you in your own uh, journey of generosity, we'd love to share that out with with our listeners as well. Sure. Um. So yeah, if, if, you, if you're someone who owns a business, runs a business and interested in that space, or you want to get discrete resources on those types of ideas, joinc12.com is really the easiest place to go figure out, hey, are you in my country, my state, my city? So we're in about 130-something U.S. cities and then about 22 international cities and, and growing. So um, you can check things out there and see if there's things like the workshop that you heard Eric talk about, or there's tons of ebooks and even some stuff around generosity and generosity stewardship and impact in your life and and viewing business as a chance to be a, a generosity engine not just financially but relationally and, and 
loving people in the name of Christ. And so whether you've got 5,000 to give or 5 million to give doesn't really determine your ability to be generous. Um, and then, so I love God money from the practical side because it just gets so transparent and does such a quick survey of kind of a great biblical thinking and then gets into so many unique models because there's not a one size fits all. Um, and I like that it actually shows real dollars and cents. I certainly love Randy Alcorn's treasure principle. I think that's a, our, our my C12 group did our first retreat, just saying, let's all read that book and let's process through the questions in that book and, and discuss that. And again, it's not prescriptive, it's invitational. So um, I think if people knew, that, I love the quote from the pastor, I forget his name that you just said about, um, you know, repentance is calling up into joy. My pastor would say, or quote someone else, that delayed obedience is disobedience. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of obedience is is blessing like mm. his ways are always about blessing and joy and so when someone's putting off thinking about generosity because like i got so much stress financially right now in the business i can't think about that they're actually missing out on joy so it's 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 um mm-hmm. like god's invitation not god's expectation mm-hmm. and i think that's something i hope people would experience if you're going man I'm, i've wrestled with how to do my unique business in my city at my current stage of life in a way that honors God or feels generous, I think that you'd be encouraged to get around a group of other people who are not going to judge you, but are going to challenge you, encourage you, and provide accountability to be true to that journey. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today on the Generosity Now podcast. You have just given me a lot to think about and our listeners, and I just really appreciate that. Um, If you have enjoyed the show, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe leave us a rating, and share with your network. On the Generosity Now podcast, we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. I'd also like to um, close with a doxology from Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Mike, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much. Really grateful for taking the time that you've carved out for us and for our listeners. Have a great day, brother. Likewise, Likewise, guys. Great job.